Well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Ephesians this morning. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, which means we are opening the last chapter of this series that we started in the month of January, looking at this question, who am I? Understanding and knowing that the defining, identifying mark of who we are is not found in how the world identifies us. It's not how we feel about ourselves, but it's about what God has done in and through us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God, saved by the grace of God, now given the call to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have received in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. And we have been learning about this calling and we come to the end of chapter five and into chapter six where Paul has moved to what it looks like within the family life, within the home life of the Christian. Two weeks ago we talked about the home life, what it is to look like between a husband and a wife. The wife's calling to submit to the husband, the husband's calling to love and to sacrifice towards the wife and to the wife as Christ loved and sacrificed for the church. And now he pivots in chapter six to the calling of the children to their parents and the calling to the parents, especially the fathers, to their children. And he says this is going to be an important thing and we're going to recognize and see its importance because of the great impact that the family has within society as a whole. And so Paul's words are short, they're concise, and yet they are critical to the overwhelming aspect of our lives because where the family goes, so goes the community, so goes society, so goes our country and the world as well. And so Paul declares 2,000 years ago what I believe to be contemporary words for us, words that are important for us at all ages, and I'm excited today to invite not only those who are here with us every week, but also our fourth and fifth graders who are joining us, because I think the words for them are just as appropriate uh, as uh, they hear these words that I think are so crucial for them as they are for the rest of us this morning. So let's listen to what Paul says uh, to us, and then let's apply these words in a moment and in a day that they are so badly needed uh, today. So let's read from Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 1. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and he says parenthetically, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Again, short and sweet and to the point, but there's a lot there. And so let's just dig into it right away. Growing up in the 80s and 90s, and I know I date myself, but watching TV, it was uncommon for me to watch a show where a family wasn't the centerpiece of a program. During those days of growing up, the family seemed to be the plot line for so many shows. 
Uh, there were plots or, or TV shows where the family uh, was depicted of having uh, a very dysfunctional family life, where dad was a misogynist, uh, perverted uh, dad who was absentee. Mom was a floozy. The kids were rebellious and going about life. And for some, they thought this program was a perfect picture of what the American family had devolved into. People tuned in and they laughed and they snickered when they watched Married with Children and they thought it was funny while others said that is what American families had become. There were other TV shows that sought to go against that, to go away from that and go back to yesteryear when families seemed pure, where family life seemed more nostalgic. They went back to the wonder years, back to the 50s and 60s where family life seemed a bit slower, where family life seemed a bit more wholesome. And there were other TV shows where family life seemed to be more fun and free-spirited, where the main character in the family was a member that wasn't a part of the family at all, but the quirky kid that lived next door named Steve Urkel in Family Matters. And you know that you have family that isn't a part of the family, but they are. Then there were shows that didn't make any sense to you at all uh, because there were family shows that had a British butler who did all the cooking and cleaning and counseling and Mr. Belvedere because every American family had a British butler doing all of that. Then there were shows that showed family life that started with some very sad circumstances. A dad with three girls who had a mom pass away and mom's brother and dad's best friend would come to help raise these three girls in San Francisco and you would watch the exploits of this family live out life in what would be called Full House. You see, all of these shows and countless other ones, whether it was the Cosby show, Who's the Boss, every at night, there were shows about families, all of them saying that no matter what your family looked like, no matter what struggles the family was going through, there were ties that made the family stick together. One of my favorite shows was watching the Keaton family under the heading Family Ties. And, and, and that family tie is what Paul is talking about here that there's a tie that pulls families together. Paul is talking to Christians in Ephesians chapter 6. He's talking to Christian children, and he's talking to Christian parents. And he's saying if you live under the banner of being a follower of Jesus Christ, then listen up. Because God wants you to live differently. When you ask the question, who am I? He wants you to answer, I am a child that is to obey mom and dad in the Lord. Who am I? I am a parent who is to lovingly discipline and instruct my children in the Lord. He's answering that question. And to do so is to bring us great good and to bring God great glory as a result. 
And so this morning, I want to look at this passage through three uh, things that we need to all do. First, the family, second, the kids, and third, the parents, especially the fathers. And we'll move through these quickly, hopefully addressing each of them accordingly. First of all, the families. And under the families, we need to understand that the families face many troubles today. Families, you face a great many troubles today. Probably unlike uh, many generations before, the families are being bombarded with troubles um, like never before, especially when it comes to the raising of kids. Our kids are being bombarded with issues and struggles in ways that kids weren't before. Just to help you a bit to understand this, uh, a recent study was done that asked the question, kids, what is concerning you the most? And this is what they came up with as to the things that are, are addressing their concerns the most. Kids from ages 11 to 18 said anxiety and depression are a major concern for them. Bullying, 55%. The issue of drug addiction, 51%. Drinking alcohol, 45%. The issue of poverty, 40%. Teen pregnancy, 34%. And gangs, 33%. To dig in a little deeper than that, to get a little bit more specific in that, let's address some of the greater issues that our young people are addressing today. One half of high school students are experimenting with drugs. 12 million American teenagers have been diagnosed as drug addicts. When it comes to sexual activity, it is estimated that 60% of teenagers are sexually active, which is leading to 1.5 million teenage pregnancies in America alone. This is leading to more than 650,000 abortions each year. On the issue of mental illness, Many of you heard the CDC recently sounded the alarm on young people and their mental illness, especially when it came to young ladies on mental illness, and it said this, two-thirds of teenage uh, ladies um, are dealing with debilitating anxiety and depression. Two-thirds of teenage ladies are dealing with what they call debilitating anxiety and depression. To address it even more, the CDC said that teenage suicide attempts are up 400% in the last seven years. Teenage suicide attempts are up 400% in the last seven years. To put a number to that, now more than 1.2 million teenagers in America alone will try to end their life this year. That is one attempt by a teenager every 30 seconds. Every 30 seconds. That means in the time that I started preaching to the time that I end my message, 60 teenagers will try to end their life. Even sadder is that one will succeed every hour. All of this tells us that our kids, and I'm speaking to fourth grade into college, tells me that kids, you need wisdom, you need help to navigate this thing called life. 
And it's not because you're dumb. It's not because you, you uh, have uh, problems that are uh, too big for uh, you to handle. It's just that the world is hard. Life is hard. And God knows it. And we know it. And God has given the answer. And the answer is God has given you parents. That's what he's designed the world to be. He's given you parents. Now here is the problem. Here is the problem. And it's not the kids' faults. The problem is, is that parents, and there's probably some kids here today that are sitting there going, well, my parents aren't around, or maybe one of my parents isn't around, and that's an epidemic. Uh, notice the screen. Parents have abdicated their role. Uh, the Pew Research Center did a study, and notice we have this decoupling of child-rearing and child-bearing and, and parenting, Notice, 71% of African-American children are born without a dad in the home. Let that sink in. 71% of African-American children will be born into a family without a dad. 53% of Hispanic children will be born into a family without a dad. 29% of Caucasian children will be born without a dad in the house. That means, listen, 40% of American children will be born into a family that does not have either a mom or dad in the house. God intended, God planned for a mom and a dad to raise up a kid to bring what they both bring to it for the good of the child. And we have failed our children in this way. In studying for this message, I came upon this study from the LA Times, and, and they shared this. In one of their largest studies that they did, that, that did a multi-part article in the LA Times, they, they shared that the two greatest deterrents to success in adulthood for teens were the following, unintended or unwanted teenage pregnancy and teenage juvenile crime. They found out the most common predictor of a young person falling into those two scenarios weren't income, race, or the neighborhood that they were born into. Those weren't the reasons why they fell into those things. The greatest indicator of why they fell into those things was their family structure. According to the Office of Juvenile Justice and Delinquency Prevention, which is an arm of the Justice Department of our federal government, 70% of imprisoned minors come from homes that don't have fathers. 70%. So what we are seeing is that we've got a problem, and Ephesians chapter 6 is the solution. Moms and dads teaching and training children in the instruction of the Lord. And so we've got the solution in front of us. And we can keep voting in politicians, we can keep reforming, we can keep um, doing all the education we can, but what we've got in front of us, God has said, I created the family, I created children, I created parents, I've got the solution in front of us, and if we would both do our parts, kids doing their parts, parents doing their parts, we would have a, a more joyful, 
a more vibrant, a more healthy family experience than trying to do it as we are. So let's dig into it. Kids, kids, you have a part to play. Verse 1, children, children. He starts there. Children, we, walk, want to walk, we want to walk right by it. We get this certain picture. Children, little kids. So the 16-year-old in our midst is like, I got a driver's license. I don't need to listen to this. I got my bank account. Uh, I got keys to the car. I, I don't need to listen. You do need to listen. Because the word that he uses, children, speaks of an infant you cradle. It speaks of a young boy uh, that would walk along your side. It speaks of Joseph uh, as one who is in his late teens. It speaks of a young man on his wedding day. So the idea here is, yes, it's a young person, but not so much with regards to age, but as the issue of under authority. The idea here is, are you under somebody? Each of these individuals, no matter their age, were under somebody. And the idea was even the groom on his wedding day was under his mom and dad. The idea is a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And so the idea is he departs from being under mom and dad and he goes and he's in his own house. So the idea is not so much your age, it's the departure from being in mom and dad's house. So let me ask this question. Whose food do you eat? Whose water did you shower with today? When you go to the doctor, whose insurance card do you show? And if you start answering those questions and it's mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad, mom and dad, you could be 45 years of age and you are under the heading children. Because it is about dependency, not about age. And so if you are dependent on your parents, then you are called to obey to a greater level. Does that help you understand that? So the more dependent you are, the more you are called to obey, and the more you are called to honor in that way. So we get the age thing, children, we get that knocked out. What part are you called to play? To obey and to honor. It is a coin that has two sides to it. One is an external side, the other is an internal side. Let's deal with the internal side. The internal side is harder to do because you can hide it. It says to honor, and then it quotes Exodus 20, verse 12. To honor, literally, it's the root meaning to honor is a weightiness, a heaviness, and carries the idea to value. It speaks of the word um, of a precious metal. This is where we get the idea, we use the phrase, he's worth his weight in gold. So he's valuable. And the idea here is that you honor your mom and dad, you honor them for the contribution that you make. You value them for what they mean to you because of all that they've done for you in their life. Our research team here at Village Bible Church calculated what it cost your parents, and we came up with the cost $233,000 to raise you. All right? So you can do one of two things. You can pay them back. <clears throat> or you can honor them. It's your choice. Now by the way, that is compounded interest 
So it's like, I don't know, $1.7 million or something like that. Or you can honor them. Honor is to have an attitude of respect that stems from you loving them and holding high value on them. So what does this mean? It means to be courteous towards them, to love them, to hold them in high esteem. What it doesn't mean is you don't show contempt for them, you don't despise them, you're not rude towards them, you're not ungrateful towards them, and here's why. You recognize, as imperfect as they are, they've done a lot for you. As much baggage as they have, they've gotten you to where you are. And so that deserves something. So then it leads to obey. Obey. It literally, obey, means two things, kids. To listen and do. Listen and do. So gauge yourself in how you're doing this. How well do you listen? Growing up, my older brother who, who passed away when he was 16, my older brother Chris lived in the basement. He used to drive my mom nuts. My mom would call down from the basement and, and she would say, Chris, Chris. <clears throat> and my brother would be like, what, what? And she'd be like, I, I, what are you doing? And he'd be like, what, I can't hear you, why? And, and I, why? And then she, she'd be screaming back and he'd, what, I can't hear you, why? And she would scream back and it was hilarious. And he would rile her up and she'd scream louder, and you're like, what? I can't, I can't hear you, what? All the while, he'd be in that, in that room of his, fully hearing what she was saying, just to get her. Kids, you know you hear us. Right? Let's just be honest. You know you hear us. And I know you know because... I know I could hear my parents. <laughs> so the question is, how well do you listen? And then how quickly do you do? And in the middle of listening and doing, do you complain? Do you grumble? Do you delay? And, and, and notice what he says. He says, you are to do this in the Lord. Now remember, the whole principle is he's talking to Christian kids. So I'm talking to the kids of Village Bible Church. If you're here and you're visiting Village Bible Church, listen, this isn't so much, I'm not preaching to you, I'm preaching to the Village Bible Church kids. And I'm assuming and I'm presuming that you love Jesus and that you want to live for Jesus and you want to please Jesus, and you want to glorify Jesus, and so this is what the Bible says to you. If you want to please and glorify and honor Jesus, then do what your parents say. Because Jesus says, I put them as middle managers between you and me, and if you want to please me, 
then listen when they talk and do what they say as if I'm telling you what they're saying. That's what he's getting across. And then he says, I want you to do this because this is how I bless your life. This is how life is going to go better for you. Life will go well for you in the land. It's not a promise. It's more of a proverb, okay? Things will go well with you, okay? It's a general understanding. So, so how will things go well with you? What, what do you need? What do you need to do? Let me give you five things that I think will help life go well for you as you obey and honor mom and dad and the Lord. Okay? Practical things. Get a pen and write these things down. Maybe they'll be helpful. Number one, know that your parents are smarter and wiser than you think. Know that your parents are smarter and wiser than you think. Mark Twain, many of you know who Mark Twain is, author. This is what he said about his dad. When I was 17, my father was so stupid, I didn't want to be seen with him in public. When I was 24, I was amazed at how much the old man had learned in just seven years. Parents, how many, of you did, how many of you would agree that your parents got smarter the older you got? Show of hands. Kids, look at that. Your parents get smarter as you get older. And the reason why is your parents are smarter and wiser than you think. So lean into that. Lean into that. Part of the reason why is they've walked the road ahead of you. And so recognize that. And by... And by just inverse, if you take that and, and turn it on its head, and I want to be careful how I say this because I don't want to be jerky about it, but know that you're not as smart and as wise as you think you are. And, and I'm not saying that you're dumb, I'm not saying that you're a fool, but, but every kid, including your pastor, thought he was smarter and wiser than he really was. So lean into your parents. Number two, thank your parents more often. Thank your parents more often. Your parents aren't looking for gifts. I don't think they are. They're not looking for trophies. They're not looking for money, okay? I've never heard a parent say, I want the $233,000 back, okay? But I can't tell you how many times I've seen parents light up when their kids have said, thanks. So your parents drop you off to a practice, thanks mom, thanks dad. When they've sat for hours and watched you in that play or that, that concert or that athletic event, hey, thanks for coming, it really meant a ton. Tell them thanks. It takes two seconds and it means the world to your parents. Thank you. When your mom or dad makes a meal, when they do something that you think is so commonplace, they have stopped a lot of other important things to take care of your needs. Tell them thanks. Gratitude is one of the key marks of the Christian. Show it to your parents. Number three, always be teachable. Always be teachable. Always be ready to learn. 
especially with your parents. If your parents, now listen, just because they're your parents don't mean that everything they say is going to be foolproof. But take it under advisement. If your parents say, hey, let's sit down and let's, let me tell you something, be willing to listen. Number four, take your faith seriously. If there's anything I can tell, and I'm talking to the young people here, if there's anything that I could tell you as your pastor, it would be this. Take your faith seriously. Dig into this thing. I don't think there is anything more important than your walk with Jesus Christ. It will guide every major decision of your life in the future. And, and here's what I know. We will stand behind that as a church. If you as a young person want to take your faith seriously, we will give you every opportunity to do it. And, and the, here's what I'm gonna say right now. I can prove it today. You had two examples of it standing right in front of you singing this morning. Did you know that? Two wonderful teenage girls leading worship, praying, leading our church in prayer this morning. You have guys in the AV uh, area right now leading back there for us. We had uh, guys in the parking lot, young people in the parking lot leading out there. We have people in our children's ministry leading uh, kids' ministries right now. Our church is what it is today because of young people taking their faith seriously. Mario, our student ministries pastor, says this all the time. Our young people are not the church of tomorrow. They are the church of today. Take your faith seriously, and we are here to help you in that process. Number five, be active in talking with your parents. Be active in talking with your parents. I know it's awkward, I know all your friends say it's stupid, but I'll tell you what, God is glorified when you're talking with your mom and dad. Now let me stop real quick and say this. I know in a room this size, <clears throat> and I know there are those that are watching online, there are kids that will say, but my parents have blown it. They've blown it. And my word would be, find some older people who are trustworthy that you can lean into. Adopt some parents that you can lean into that can be Jesus and be his hands and feet to you. Who you can get wisdom from, who you can get advice from, who you can um, lean into. Maybe your mom and dad have blown it, maybe they've abdicated that role. Find somebody in your life that you can lean into. And by the way, that's what the church is for. The church is there for, if you will, for no other better terms, some of these orphans, if you will, whose mom and dads don't wanna do these things where you can come and find godly men and women who can help and lead in this way. We've got a wonderful women's mentoring program that's mentoring women of all ages who can help in that. We've got guys who would love to help mentor uh, young men in this way, and so if you find yourself there, we want to help in that way, and uh, we believe we can do that. So a word to those that may find themselves in that situation. Finally, let's look at the third point, parents. Godly leadership can go a long way. So one verse for the parents, but man, a mouthful. It says this, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So it's written to fathers, but these words can uh, have bearing on mothers as well. 
But let's make it clear, dads, you have been given a great responsibility and you can bring great harm by embittering your children, whether aggressively or passively abdicating your role. So you can do too much or do too little, and either way, abdicate your role in this way. So let's look at the negative. Do not provoke. Paul begins with the negative here. To provoke means to make angry, cause to irritate or exacerbate. It means to stimulate one to the point of brooding, simmering anger that is nurtured or not allowed to die. Parents, this is where you are talking to your kid. Your kid's face is down. His head is down. The inaudible groans are happening. <laughs> okay? This is the perpetual door slamming. This is, I don't want to talk to you. Okay? This is clenched fists. This is stomping of feet over and over again. When this is happening, listen to me, parents. Stop doing whatever you're doing. It ain't working. You're like, but I don't know what else to do. Well, don't do that. It ain't working. And I get it. I get it. It's frustrating. I get you've tried a million things. But that ain't working, okay? Because all that's doing is just redlining the kid, redlining the kid. So whatever it is, whatever, whatever you have, the approach you've taken, it isn't working. You may be totally legitimate in your response, but it isn't, it isn't working. Now, now, here are some of the things that, that may be doing it. It could be actions, it could be attitudes, it could be words. Here's the other thing. I have three children. And three different things could be activating that anger in each of them. So it's not one thing that just is a broad brush that covers all of them. What one thing may affect one, it could affect the other in a different way. By the way, disciplining one one way may not discipline the other the same way. And your kids, by the way, you know what the kids will say? That's not fair. Well, wonderful. Okay? Because it doesn't work the same. It doesn't have the same effect. So how do you do it? How do you provoke favoritism, unfair comparisons, unrealistic standards, overindulging your kid, discouraging words, lack of rewards, unfulfilled promises, treating them like borders rather than sons and daughters, not admitting your mistakes, ridiculing them, neglecting them, using abusive words, using sarcasm, emotional, emotional, physical, relational, sexual abuse. All of which should, all of these things should provoke, promote anger, wrath from your child. They should get angry. It should cause them to get angry. And so they should elicit a response. And you should stop that. And God is saying, stop that. Cease and desist. Don't do these things. 
You should be stopped in these things. So that's the negative. The positive, he says, I want you to bring them up, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The phrase there, bring them up. I love what John Calvin says. He says, bring them up. Let them fondly be cherished in all gentleness and friendliness. The idea here is not an ogre-type dictatorship, but a loving and kind leadership that imitates the loving kindness and patience of our Heavenly Father. Notice it involves discipline and instruction. The idea here is you take your kid hand in hand, and it is a partnership. We're going to do this thing together. We are on a marathon together, and we are going to run this marathon hand in hand together. We started it together. We will finish it together, and we will do it side by side, and it it will be fast at times. It will be slow at times. There will be injuries at times, but we will do it together. So how do we do it? Let's do this together. Eleven things. Eleven will be done by three. Eleven things. Number one. Parents, make your love for Christ and his church contagious. Make your love for Christ and his church contagious. I have spread the contagion of the Chicago Cubs to my three boys. They didn't know it when they were born into the family, and I've brought it to them. Why? Because I watch it, I listen to it, I go to the games and all of that. And I can assure you, parents, there is something you have brought your love to them, okay? You have brought something, some kind of love, some type of hobby, something you have invested and your kids have have been brought into it. Let me tell you, before that, make sure it's Christ and his church, Make sure it's Christ and his church. Make sure that that is the first thing. Because listen, the cubs will come and go. But Jesus Christ is forever. And here's the thing. They may not take it. They may not take Jesus. They may not take the church. But you want to bring it to them so that it's easy for them to catch it. That it's easy for them to take hold of it. Number two. Communicate your love to them in a variety of ways. Do you know how to tell them you love them? And what I mean by that is how they want to be told they're loved. Gary Chapman in his book talks about the love languages, and that works for kids. How do they want to be loved? Is it through hugs? Is it through gifts? Is it through quality time? Is it through acts of service? Is it through words of affirmation? Again, each kid is different. How do they want to be loved. Love them in that way and just gush on them. They need to know they are loved. By the way, God told us for three chapters of Ephesians how much he loved us. So it's the godly thing to do. Number three, the best thing you can do for your, your kids here on earth is court their mom or dad. Court their mom or dad. This does two things. One, it stabilizes the home that they live in, and two, it strategically sets them on the trajectory of what their married life will look like. And that means, by the way, 
that kids need to know that they are not first place in either mom or dad's affection. Number four, fulfill your commitments. When you say you're going to do something, do it. It's easy as that. Fulfill your commitments. Number five, don't compare your kids with other kids. Don't compare your kids with other kids. Boy, Facebook is a killer for this. Have you noticed not a single parent has ever put on Facebook, my kid got suspended from school today. Heart. Never happens. In my day, the 80s and 90s, the olden days, we didn't have Facebook, we had the bumper sticker, my kid is an honor student at such and such a school. We were driving one day and my mother, tears in her eyes, God bless her, she was a saint. She said, hey Tim, Tim, voice cracking. Do you think maybe one day? We could get that bumper sticker? Of which I said, well, Mom, no, but I think we can get one my kid beat up your honor student at such and such a school. I know, you're not supposed to beat up. Pastor, don't talk about beating up kids at school. It's wrong. Okay, don't compare your kids. Listen, I've been a pastor for now 20 years, and here's what I know about kids. They all got issues. They all have issues. They all have issues. Did you hear me? Including the pastor's kids, okay? I don't care what you put on Facebook. Some kids have issues that everybody sees, and other kids have issues that nobody sees. Some kids have issues at the beginning of the race. Other kids have issues in the middle of the race. Other kids have issues at the end of the race. There's only one kid that didn't have any issues, and his name was Jesus, okay? And his parents had issues, okay? So, so understand that. So don't compare. Because of that, be compassionate when your kids fail, be compassionate when your kids fail, and your kids will fail. Remember this, and Amanda and I have to remember this all the time. Compassion before consequences. You got me? Compassion before consequences. Your kid's going to come in the door, tears in their eyes. Oh my gosh, I've totally messed up my life. I've screwed it up. Or they're going to come in and be like, I'm glad I screwed things up. I hope you figure this thing out. And you got to deal compassion before consequences. You got to. Be compassionate. Why? Because Jesus is compassionate with us. He's compassionate. Be compassionate first. Consequences will come. Consequences will inevitably come. And, and here's the thing. Let them experience consequences. That's the next thing. Some of us are so compassionate that we never let consequences come. One of the greatest parent-teacher conferences I ever had. My teacher said everything I did bad in the class, and I thought my parents were going to come to my defense, and my father said, all right, thank you very much. Tim will come back with a totally different attitude on Monday. Like, this is terrible. Okay, so let, let your kid experience consequences. 
Dads, this is for you. Dads, listen, turn off the cruise control. Get in your kids' lives. Stop playing golf as much as you are. Stop doing the hobbies. And get in your kids' lives. They need you. They need that man in, your, in their lives. Your sons need you in their lives. Your daughters need you in their lives. Turn off the cruise control. Stop letting your wife do everything. Get engaged. Wives are like, amen. Amen. This is good. Wives. Mom, stop controlling everything. Okay? We call them helicopter moms. Okay? There's one who controls everything. His name is Jehovah. Let him do it. Okay? Trust God. Part of the reason why, and I'm being really careful in how I say this, part of the reason why you can't sleep at night, listen, part of the reason why you can't sleep at night is because you're trying to control everything. God doesn't need sleep because he can control everything. Last prayer that you pray at the end of the night is, God, you got this. I'm going to bed. I'm going to bed. You got it. Let him take care of it. Number nine, celebrate their successes. I saw one of our parents last night. He was at an event that his kid was doing, and uh, he was celebrating his kid like a crazy man. And I was like, that, that's it. His kid was doing something, and he was just, man, he was in a whole different world. My kid is having a ball. He's being successful. He's doing what he loves. And I don't even know if the dad even liked what he was doing. But because the son was enjoying himself, he was having a ball. Celebrate it. Hoop and holler. Cheer. Be excited. When you're having dinner with another family, another set of parents, don't compete with them. So they start talking about Sally and Johnny and all the great things that are going on. Don't start making up stuff about your kid. Okay? Don't compete. Okay? It's not a race. Okay? Finally, 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 parents, commit your kids daily to the Lord. Commit them to the Lord Pray, 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 and when you're done praying, pray some more. God's got this. Take the long view. God speaks of us as prodigal children, and he's got a way of bringing prodigals back home.